everyone. I'm Sam. And I'm Sean. And you're listening to Key to the Case. As usual, we do want to thank everyone who has listened so far and who has supported the show, whether it be from the very first episode or you're tuning in just now. We really appreciate you. This is only our fifth episode, but somehow it feels like we've been doing this a lot longer. So I'm, I'm not sure how that happened, but we want to thank all of you. Yeah. And don't forget wherever you listen to your podcasts, subscribe or follow, follow our, our page, Key to the Case, and uh, give us a five-star review, please. And also follow us on Instagram, Key to the Case podcast. Yep. We'd really appreciate it. But I think that's all we have to say. Um, and I think we can get right into today's case. Yeah. Let's dive in. Kevin Brame was born in Dayton, Ohio, to parents Rosemary and Gerald. Just two years later, Rosemary and Gerald had twins, Carrie and Karen, making Kevin an older brother, a role he was naturally fit for. According to justiceforkevinbrame.com, there have been a large number of different adjectives used to characterize Kevin at various stages of his life. Helpful, inquisitive, sweet, generous, impish, joking, adventurous, and protective. I liked the at various stages of his life remark. It got me thinking how, depending on when you meet someone in their life, you might describe them a little bit differently, but most people have a core to who they are. And for Kevin, there seemed to be a a common theme. He had an adventurous side, but he had a softer side too, and he was protective of those he loved. Kevin's parents divorced, but remained good friends, which I can imagine helped the kids through the divorce. Kevin had a love for sports from a young age, and he took a liking to soccer, specifically. In high school, he was a member of the varsity soccer and swim teams, but he also played in the band, was on the yearbook staff, he helped manage the softball team, and he was a member of Junior Council on World Affairs. So you can you can start to see how Kevin was multifaceted, and, and he was popular too. He was very well liked by those who knew him. But Kevin had a lifelong goal, and that was to follow in his father's footsteps and become a police officer, and nothing would stop him from achieving this goal. He wanted to be a good cop, and to make a positive impact in his hometown of Dayton, which he would go on to do. But first, after high school graduation, he served in the Air Force Reserves from 1987 until 1995. He simultaneously joined the police academy in Dayton, which he graduated from in 1993, making him a member of the Dayton Police Department. Kevin was the kind of person who loved his job. He was passionate about it, and he took a liking to bike patrol because it gave him the opportunity to have closer contact with people in the community. But at the same time, it was a great form of exercise for him. Kevin married a woman named Carla in 1994, and they had two children together, Dominique, who was five at the time of Kevin's murder, and Antonio, who was eight at the time of the murder. By all accounts, Kevin was an amazing father and devoted father, too. He was very involved in the boys' lives in all aspects, whether it be school, sports, hobbies, just simply spending time with them. He was there for all of it. Neighbors of Kevin's remarked how often he would play with the boys in his front yard and and how happy they always appeared. At the time of Kevin's murder, he and Carla were estranged, 
It's unclear exactly when their marriage started to deteriorate, but the two hadn't been living together for at least three weeks prior to Kevin's murder. Carla stayed at the home they used to live in together, and Kevin moved in with his mom for a bit, but shortly before his death, he found a house to rent that was just about two miles south of Carla's home, and his mom helped him furnish and decorate it. Do you know if the kids were spending more time with Kevin or Carla, or was it pretty split? I think it was pretty split. I didn't see an exact arrangement discussed, but I do know they had certain days that they were with Kevin and then certain days that they were with Carla. But it did seem clear that there probably wasn't much hope for a rekindling of the relationship because Kevin was, you know, making strides to have a more permanent residence. Not that a rental is permanent, but separate from where he was living with her. I don't think there was, like I said, much hope for them getting back together. So what was the cause? Or did you mention that that no one really knows why they why they kind of started separating? Yeah, I couldn't really find any specific details or any specific reasons as to why they were separating. So I can't really speculate as to the cause of, of this situation. Monday, November 1st, 1999 was a normal day until it wasn't. 31-year-old Kevin worked late the night prior and had a job-related court appointment to attend. That day, Kevin received a call from Carla that the boys really wanted to see him. Since they were split up at that point, it wasn't his day to have the kids, but Kevin, being the good father he was, jumped at the opportunity to spend more time with his two sons. Kevin planned to go to his mom, Rosemary's house, that evening to celebrate his father, Jerry's birthday, and they were invited for dinner, but the boys really wanted to go out to eat, so they did, and they arrived at the birthday party around 7 or 7.30 p.m. Now, it was a school night, so they couldn't stay long, and they left the party just around 8.30 p.m., Rosemary would later say that it was a really good evening. Everyone was in good spirits, and they talked about future plans they had. It was just overall a good night. Kevin drove the boys back to Carla's home, where he brought them inside and helped them set up a video game. Kevin said his goodbyes to the boys and exited Carla's home just before 9 p.m. Moments later, he would be killed with a single shot to his neck from a shotgun. It appeared the assailant had been lying in wait for Kevin and shot him from behind as he walked to his car that was parked in the driveway. Two calls were made after the shot rang out, one from a neighbor and one call from Carla herself. The neighbor indicated that his daughter heard a single gunshot, but nothing else. Carla called four minutes later and said, quote, my husband is a Dayton cop. He just went outside and I thought I heard a gunshot. My neighbor just ran over here and my husband is outside on the ground, unquote. It's reported that Carla was initially calm and composed when she made the call, but she escalated to a point where she started screaming, oh my God, over and over. I, I can imagine that moment she was realizing what happened. She asked the 911 dispatcher multiple times if she should go outside, and the dispatcher instructed her not to go outside. Carla looked out the window and saw Kevin's white gym shoes. When she was asked about the gunshot, Carla said, quote, 
I heard something, but I didn't know what it was. It sounded like a backfire, unquote. The neighbor who was with Carla said that he was in his room, in his home, when he heard a really loud gunshot. He came over, and that's when he found Kevin lying on the ground, face down, surrounded by blood. So it sounds like this neighbor ran over pretty much immediately after the shot. Another neighbor reported that after she heard the shot, she looked out her window in that direction. She didn't see anything, nor did she hear anything besides a gunshot. She didn't hear any screaming, tires squealing, fighting, anything like that. She didn't see anyone, or I guess neither of the neighbors saw anyone running away? No, that's what I find pretty interesting in this case is that no one saw an individual, really. There were some vague reports about um, shadowy figures and, and dark cars, but no one saw someone directly leaving the scene. Carla lived at 624 Cherry Drive in Dayton, Ohio, in a home that was between 1,200 and 1,300 square feet. The homes in that neighborhood sit pretty close by each other, so it made sense that others heard the shot. It's often cited in articles that the killer was hiding in the bushes, waiting for Kevin to come out of the house. And I think that makes sense because the bushes in front of the house at that time were pretty tall and large. So it is quite conceivable that the killer could have hidden behind them without Kevin taking notice. When first responders arrived at the scene, Kevin was pronounced dead. The single shot proved to be a fatal one. Carla called Kevin's mom after she got off the phone with 911 to share the horrifying news that Kevin was shot. In an instant, Rosemary and the rest of Kevin's family had their world shattered. I I think if you have a family member in law enforcement or any first responder, there's an understanding that your loved one is in a more dangerous occupation than most people. But To have your loved one die off-duty is especially shocking. And although Kevin was armed that night, it was evident that he was caught off guard and shot from behind. He was face down. No one heard a scream or a fight. There was nothing to indicate he knew it was coming before it happened. Kevin's family was extremely shocked and devastated by the news, of course, but they would go on to be advocates for him, advocates for justice. They still fight to this day. And we'll get into that more as we go on in this story. But Kevin's family worked in conjunction with the Dayton Police Department to create the website justiceforkevinbrame.com. And that was a huge resource in this case. It's really well, it was really well put together. So I highly recommend you check it out after listening today, if you're interested in learning more. And we also have to remember that when that shot was fired, two children lost their father. I want to go back to the 911 calls and the accounts from the neighbors because it is interesting. And like we just talked about, I I was surprised that no one saw a person fleeing the scene or a car driving off or really anything unusual at all. Now, the sun would have already set by the time Kevin was killed, which could have made it harder to make out a figure or to clearly see a vehicle, but it still sounded like the neighbors who heard the shot all instantly realized it was a gunshot 
and went to investigate, whether it be by looking out their window or there was the neighbor who ran over to Carla's house. So if they didn't see anything or hear anything beyond the gunshot, the person who did this must have evacuated the scene in seconds. I have to wonder where they parked their car. I would imagine the killer wouldn't want to park too far of a distance away because the farther they park away, the more homes they would have to pass and the more potential witnesses they'd have to encounter, all the while wielding a shotgun. And I found the shotgun to be an interesting choice of weapon, just considering it's harder to conceal than something small like a handgun, but but it's also quite loud. All guns are loud, I, I know, but when you look at this murder, it's it's apparent that this killer was willing to take a lot of risks to kill Kevin because it wasn't a discreet murder by any means. And frankly, they were lucky no one saw them or their car, if we presume they drove to the scene. I'm immediately suspicious of Carla's involvement in this. I mean, so if if, if someone wanted Kevin dead, I suppose they, they could have watched him for a few weeks, gotten, gotten a good good feel for his schedule, know when he had his kids and was watching his kids and know when he wasn't uh, and and kind of create a schedule of when he dropped them off back at Carla's or whether she picked them up. You know, they, they would get a good idea of what his schedule was like. But this, you mentioned that this was a day that he wasn't supposed to watch the kids. They were supposed to be with Carla. So Carla was pretty much the only person who would know that uh, he would he would come back and drop them off later. Yes, you hit the nail on the head kind of with two points here. So the concept uh, of only Carla really being aware of, of where Kevin would be that evening is widely talked about in this case. Of course, his family knew um, because he was just with them, but we all know they were accounted for at a separate location So obviously they weren't involved, but yes, it is interesting because it seemed that this person knew exactly where Kevin was going to be and when he was going to be there. And you're right. Carla was the one who set this whole day up, basically. So it is interesting to look at in in this case. And also you hit on someone potentially following him and knowing his schedule. And what's interesting about that is that apparently Kevin had told people a few weeks before his murder or told a couple people that he felt he was being followed. And his mom, when she found out about this, she had no idea. She was pretty surprised. I imagine he didn't tell her because he didn't want to worry her and and he maybe hadn't fully validated the situation yet. But apparently he had told a couple of people who he trusted that he felt like someone was following him, but he didn't say a specific person was following him or any, really any details at all. But I mean, we really don't know if anyone actually was following Kevin. So that detail, while it's interesting, it doesn't really go anywhere in the context of this case. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know what to do with that information about he was sensing someone was following, but never really saw anyone. I feel like 
he's a cop. He, he would have the authority to go up to someone and ask them point blank, are you following me? But it sounded like he just kind of sensed, sensed it. Yeah. The details are just yeah. fuzzy on that whole situation because he didn't tell anyone much about it. Yeah. Well, I guess we can, we can move on from that topic because I'm, I don't, I don't really know what to do with that, but I thought I, w- I was a little shocked or surprised that that Carla called the cops and said she thought a car backfired. I, I feel like you would be able to distinguish between a shotgun blast and a car backfiring pretty pretty easily. I thought so too, and I want to get others' opinions on this because in my mind, the sound of a shotgun firing off is a distinctly different sound from a car backfiring. Also, it was probably, what, 10, 12 feet from the house, maybe 20 feet from where she was standing? Yeah. Pretty pretty, pretty close. I know the house is somewhat of a buffer, but uh, it'd, still be, it'd still be loud as hell. Yeah, we're not talking about a 10,000 square foot mansion here. It was about 1,200 to 1,300 square feet. So that was the other factor here where it was a little surprising, but I mean... We weren't there, so I, I guess we can't say. But you know the one instant it reminded me of? The only time in my life I've been in a situation like this that is even remotely similar. Um, when Sean and I were living in downtown Kansas City, we lived in this apartment building or this loft, probably about 40 units. And our unit was facing north. And there was this one night where all of a sudden I wake up at... I don't know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., something like that, to gunshots being fired. Extremely, I could tell it was extremely close to where we were. We were on the fourth floor. So generally you'd think you're safer up high, but I went to look at our windows, which made me uncomfortable because they were floor to ceiling. And I I was so scared that someone was firing up at our building. And I I still, you know, I peeked out. I didn't see anything, but I heard, I would say probably three to five shots. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because in that moment, I, there was not a single part of me that thought it was anything other than a shot, a gunshot being fired. And surely it wasn't a shotgun being fired, but Still, it was very obvious to me that that's what that sound was. And I think that's the only time in my life where I've been that close to gunshots being fired and and not expecting them to be fired. Yeah, I remember I I slept through that whole thing because I wear earplugs at night. Yeah. And then (laughs) I I was like, You waking me up. I was like, Can you please never wear earplugs again? Um, Yeah. So for anyone who's, worried by that situation. We did find out what happened. So there was an apartment building next to ours and apparently someone who lived in that building got into a dispute and altercation with another person and then kicked that person out of his apartment. And then that person, when they got down to the ground level, shot up at the other guy's apartment and you could actually see the bullet holes. No one was hurt or injured or died or anything like that, thankfully. But yeah, uh, it was pretty scary. And I just thought it's the only time in my life where I've been in a situation that is, like I said, even close to similar. And I knew in that moment immediately that those were gunshots, not 
firecrackers or a car backfiring or any other noise. But to be fair, I, I wasn't there in Carla's situation. And if you think about it, she kind of had to say, no matter what her position is here, she kind of had to say it was some, she thought it was something other than a gunshot because she called four minutes after the first person. And she wasn't the first person to find Kevin. So it's the only way to explain whether she's fully innocent or she had any involvement here. It's the only way to explain why she wasn't the first one to call 911 or the first one to find Kevin. Yeah, I guess if she was involved and and Kevin got killed, if she wanted to attempt to fully remove herself as a as a suspect, she would probably call right away, I would think, and say oh my God, my husband's dead. You would think so, unless she didn't want to be the first one to find him. But her, she would be the most likely to hear it since she, she was closer to the, to the gunshot. Right. Yeah. So she wouldn't be the logical person to call the police. And you know she's awake because she just got her kids dropped off. Right. He just left out the front door seconds ago. So... While the whole thing is strange, I don't know exactly what to make of it, but we do know that the neighbors thought, or not thought, they they knew it was a gunshot. So it's just, well, it's all interesting. I'll put it that way. Yeah. If they knew it was a gunshot and Carla thought it was a, a car backfire, that, that's a little, a little fishy to me. The investigation into Kevin's murder started right away. In a case like this, where the police have lost one of their own, you know it's going to get an adequate investigation, but they couldn't determine a clear motive for Kevin's murder. Naturally, they had to investigate if the murder could have been related to Kevin's work. Had he arrested someone who wanted to seek revenge? Was he a critical witness in an upcoming trial? Those are the kind of questions they were digging into. Yeah, that's an that's another avenue my mind was going down was it was tied to his work being a cop. You mentioned that he had he had just had a court appointment that day, the same day he was murdered. So I, I don't know the details of the court appointment. Maybe it was just speeding tickets or a, a charge of some sort, but maybe whoever had the charges against them is they're angry with him that it that that he issued them these charges or tickets or whatever and. They wanted to seek revenge. But at the same time, and I'm kind of thinking about that a little more. If, say, they both left the appointment together and the guy was pissed off, I'm assuming it's the guy that killed him, but they both left the appointment. The guy tailed Kevin for a while, saw that he was going to pick up his kids, followed him to dinner. He would have had to known that he was going to drop off the kids back at Carla's because... Like you said, someone was waiting there in the bushes. Or they just followed him all day and followed him from uh, Rosemary's to back to Carlos. They waited for for him to drop the kids off back inside and they were able to situate themselves in the in the bushes and once he walked out, they shot him. Yeah, I think that's a possibility for sure. But then you also think about, wouldn't Kevin notice if someone were truly following him all day long? I mean, he already had these suspicions that this was going on. So I don't know. You'd think you would notice, but 
then again, maybe not if they were pretty discreet. But throughout the whole investigation, detectives uncovered that there was no reason to believe any of his past arrests had a role in in his murder. They were unable to find any ties between his murder and his job as a police officer. So they focused their investigation elsewhere. Carla was another natural starting point. She was one of the only people, like we talked about, who knew Kevin would be at her home that evening. If you couple that detail with the fact that she was his estranged wife, or even if they were still together, they would have to look at her. Police have described Carla as uncooperative. She moved to Texas just three months after Kevin's murder, which made it harder for police to question her. I was really curious about this move to Texas. I would like to know if the move was already in the works when Kevin was murdered or if Kevin's murder precipitated the move. If it were already in the works, I believe Kevin's family would have come out and said that if they were aware, but but they didn't. So it's possible that Kevin knew about this and didn't tell his family, or like I said, the murder precipitated the move. Yeah. I mean, if if Carla had zero involvement whatsoever, and I could see how this could create a you know a massive dark cloud surrounding her and her her two boys, uh, and she may have just wanted to get away from it. Yeah, it's kind of like in the Samantha Olson case that we covered. Her husband moved away with his daughter shortly after the murder, and we know her husband Eric had nothing to do with that murder. So. Some people do that, and it could be that she had family there. We we really don't know, but there could have been reasons. But what I will say is that it was clear that Kevin wasn't planning on moving to Texas. So you have to wonder, was Carla going to move there and take the kids with her if this was pre-planned? I don't see that going over well with Kevin at all, if that were the case. Right, because they're they're splitting time with the kids. Yes. We know how devoted of a father Kevin was. He would not be okay with his kids being in another state. So according to the Dayton Daily News, Carla and her attorney hired a polygrapher so she could complete a lie detector exam. And she allegedly passed that exam. All letter listeners take that for what it is. And Carla has also had very little interaction with the media. I couldn't find any statements she made publicly, which is quite different from Kevin's family, who has been instrumental in keeping Kevin's case and his memory alive and in the public eye. Carla isn't required to say anything publicly, but you'd think she would want to cooperate with the investigation privately, at least. Maybe she doesn't want to be in the public eye. Okay, that's fine. But the what she would need to do, I think, is cooperate with the police, and they've called her uncooperative. Yeah, she's not doing herself any favors. Moving a thousand miles, a couple thousand miles. I don't know what it is, but moving away, not cooperating with the police, not issuing any statements. I mean, all signs to me are kind of pointing towards It's Carla. not not looking good. And yeah. I went into this. I really don't want to be too critical of her, but it didn't appear that she really had much interest in understanding who murdered her estranged husband and the father of her children. I get that they were estranged at that point. I understand that, but it's still the father of 
of your children. So you'd think you'd want to see justice served. So there's they were still technically married at the time, right? Yes. Nothing legal legally had changed. Could this be, and this is pure speculation, I'm assuming she was still listed as the main beneficiary on on his on his life insurance. Yes. Could, and could uh this be a little insurance fraud? I don't think that's the right term, but could this be a, a ploy to get that life insurance money? Could it be motive is what you're asking? Could it be motive? Yes. Sure. In a lot of cases. And your timing is interesting because I was about to get into this. Carla's attorney filed a number of lawsuits on her behalf just about two months after Kevin's murder. The Dayton Daily News reported that one of the lawsuits requested that the judge of Montgomery County Common Pleas Court issue a temporary restraining order against the postmaster and the police. Carla claimed that she was informed that mail being sent to her current residence was being pulled and logged as instructed to do so by the Dayton police. The lawsuit also stated that an insurer informed her that her claim for Kevin's life insurance could not be processed because the company hadn't been given the complete toxicology and autopsy reports that they needed to finish processing. So the goal of the legal action here was to disallow the postmaster to log or pull Carla's mail and to require the Dayton Police Department to send the completed toxicology and autopsy reports to Carla's attorney. There were three different policies from what I could find. So get ready to add some numbers here. She she was the beneficiary of of all three of these. Kevin had a $50,000 accident policy from one insurance company that he obtained in 1996. He obtained a $100,000 life insurance policy from a different company in 1998. And he had a $90,000 life and accident policy through Carla's employer. So that all totals up to $240,000 that Carla should have received as the sole beneficiary. Carla sued these three insurance companies as well. Her attorney asserted that without the completed autopsy and toxicology reports for the insurance companies so that they could pay out, Carla would be at risk of losing her home and having to withdraw her two sons from private school. Carla was employed at an automotive company called Delphi. So at least at that time, I don't believe she was without any income, but it sounds like she was hit hard by the loss of Kevin's income. And I'm also not sure of her employment status once she moved to Texas. Reportedly, Carla reached a settlement with the insurance companies, but There weren't many details reported about the outcome from the other lawsuits, but it didn't appear she got the restraining order she wanted. So that's a, I mean, a considerable amount of money. You can look at it how you want to look at it, right? Is this motive or is this a mom who it is without her husband's income, the father of her children's income any longer, they're in private school. That's expensive. She needs to keep keep things afloat. I mean, you can look at it two different ways, I think. Yeah, you can look at it look at it as either she had a hand in this and wanted to get the payout and she didn't get it and she was pissed, or she needed to keep life going for yep. her and her boys. So Yeah, I think one is obviously very sinister and the other is 
much more innocent. So it really just depends on how you view this case. Over the years, investigators in this case have made comments to the public that give hints as to their stance in the case. Seven years after Kevin's murder, the Dayton Daily News reported that detectives believed they know the motive for the murder, but they didn't elaborate any further. Detectives also shared that this was not a random or spontaneous act. And that's something we haven't really touched on, just the idea of someone randomly being out and shooting him, because I think it's kind of ridiculous. This seemed very planned out. Yeah. To me, this seems very obvious that it, it wasn't random and it was planned out. I agree. Yeah. And an investigator said they know at least two people were involved. Kevin's mom, Rosemary, has echoed the notion that this was planned out. It had to be, right? To, to some extent, because like we talked about, he wouldn't normally have been at Carla's home that night. Rosemary said, we know that his murder was discussed, planned, and carried out so that it would occur when Kevin would be vulnerable. It was not a crime committed in the heat of passion or as an act of self-defense. It was cold-blooded, it was brutal, and it has never been solved. So obviously it was the shooter is one, and then someone who knew he was going to be at Carlos is the second one. Yeah, so more or less what we're saying, someone... Someone close to him. Someone who wanted him dead, and then someone who carried it out. Carla didn't know exactly when Kevin would be dropping the boys off that evening, but I imagine she had kind of a general estimate since it was a school night. I think it's possible the person waited near her house for Kevin to return, or maybe the killer was informed he was at Rosemary's home, like we talked about, and they watched and waited for him to leave that birthday party and followed him there um, to Carla's home, which was just a few minutes away. They were very close together. The latter almost seems more likely because seemingly no one saw anyone suspicious in the area around Carla's home before the murder, but I think either situation is possible. So if two people were involved, or at least two, it really casts this crime in a certain light, in my opinion. Because Kevin was killed with a single shot to the neck, it's clear that does not require two people. The physical act could not have been carried out by two people. So like I said, you're really left with a situation where you have an individual who wanted Kevin dead for some ridiculous reason, and then you have the individual who actually carried it out. In August 2003, almost four years after Kevin's murder, a man named C.D. McCoy's home was searched, and he was questioned in relation to the murder. C.D. was 55 years old at the time, and he was a former co-worker of Carla's. C.D. McCoy came out and told news outlets that Police arrived at his home at approximately 6 a.m. on this day and informed him they were there in relation to the investigation of Kevin Bram's murder. C.D. said he was taken to the police station where he was subsequently questioned for more than an hour and the police allegedly called him a contract killer. He said, quote, they took me to the interrogation room and started asking me a whole lot of questions. They're telling me I'm lying and talking about I killed him for $2,000 and they had witnesses, people saying I'm bragging and boasting about it, unquote. He went on to say that he wasn't worried because he had nothing to do with Kevin's murder. Detectives didn't come out and call CD a suspect, but indicated that they had information from witnesses that contradicted CD's statements and 
that the facts of the case brought them to CD's home. A number of items were retrieved from the home, including miscellaneous papers and various shoes, which makes you wonder if they have a shoe print they're trying to match. CD was never charged for Kevin's murder, so what was compensated from his home was not enough to warrant an arrest. But I keep in mind that to be able to search the home in the first place, they had to have probable cause. So just because they didn't find evidence to arrest CD doesn't negate the fact that they had reason to be there in the first place. I'd be curious to know if they looked into Carla's phone phone records or phone call history. You said that this guy CD was a coworker or a friend or something, right? A coworker, former okay. coworker. Former coworker. I'm, I'd be curious to know if they were able to track down a call that they had made, maybe a few calls. Yeah, I imagine they did look through her phone records, but again, that wasn't reported on. There's a lot left to wonder about in this case. But I I think they worked together at Delphi. So if I understand correctly, they worked together at the time of Kevin's murder. I think they call him a former coworker because they weren't working together anymore at that time. But if you think about it, not even in this case, this is pretty dark, but in any case, if you're going to hire someone to kill someone else, asking a coworker you trust and think is capable of doing that does make sense, as horrible as is, as it is, because you could talk about it at work. You wouldn't have to meet up secretly with that person and risk being seen together when you shouldn't be. You wouldn't have to make phone calls to that person, most likely, as far as for the planning goes. It, it could be planned within the confines of your employer where you're expected to be with that person. Of course, you risk people hearing your conversation. That's a possibility too. But you see what I'm saying? Like she, like she, In any case, you wouldn't have to be calling that person as much, most likely, because you could talk to them at work. Detectives never got to the point where they categorized CD as a suspect, and he did pass away in 2012. So if he had involvement in Kevin's murder, that information went with him. If Carla did have involvement, I'm kind of wondering why she would have it done right in front of her house. Maybe she didn't know where Kevin's new address was. Maybe maybe he didn't tell her what, what the address for his rental was. So in this instance, she would know exactly where he was. He would drop off the kids and therefore be alone as he was walking to his car. She would be certain of that. But then again, it was on a it was on a day where he wasn't supposed to be there technically. I mean, they had a schedule and that day of the week, he wasn't supposed to have the kids. So then it makes her look suspicious in, the, in that ride. Yeah, you'd think she would realize that if she were involved and, and she's planning this out, you'd think she would not do it this way. So I think this almost... Again, in this case, it's like you can look at so many different things and in a different lens or different aspects of this case, depending on which lens you go in with, it, it can look suspicious or it can look not suspicious. So yeah, I see what you're pointing out. Why would she want to have it done right in front of her house when her kids are in the home, unless it was only because that's the only time she knew exactly where he'd be and he'd probably have his guard down He'd be walking away from the home, I suppose. 
But then, yeah, why would she pick a day where only pretty much only she would know where he was going to be? She set it all up. She would have to know, again, that that would make her look suspicious. But I don't know. Innocent until proven guilty. Honestly, they clearly don't have enough evidence against Carla or anyone involved, anyone who could be involved in this case to to charge anyone. And that's what's so frustrating is it feels like they're on the cusp. They're so close, but they just can't get there. And detectives and Kevin's family have consistently asked the public for help requesting anyone with information to come forward. They believe that more people likely know about this murder than just the people directly involved. It seems apparent at this point that the detectives really do know or have a strong theory as to what happened and who's involved, but they just don't have enough evidence to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. This case has also been huge in Dayton, but it hasn't gotten much national news coverage. I'm sure many people listening right now who aren't from that area haven't heard of this case. In an interview with WHIO in 2019, Rosemary talked about the day of Kevin's murder, and at one point she described receiving the phone call from Carla that night, and the interviewer asked, you know, what went through your head in that moment? And Rosemary just kind of says, end of my world. And that was a heartbreaking thing to see and and hear. And it's exactly how I imagine I would feel in that situation. Her world and Kevin's whole family's world changed in an instant. How could you go from such a happy evening celebrating Jerry's birthday to Kevin being dead? His father then had to share his son's anniversary of his death with his own birthday. So I don't know how you process that. I I don't know if you can, but she also shared in the interview that when Carla called, she didn't realize Kevin was dead. That was not stated. So maybe it's that Carla didn't realize that yet. So that was another shocking point when she arrived to Carla's house to learn, oh, he's dead. That was incredibly surprising because at that point, I think they thought it was an injury. Um, and that he would hopefully survive. At least that's what it seemed like. But of course, they were devastated to learn that that wasn't the case. There have been seemingly countless vigils and memorials to honor Kevin's memory. Sadly, Kevin's father, Jerry, passed away in 2014, never having received justice for Kevin. Kevin didn't get to go on to see his kids grow up. He didn't get to go on and find a new partner in life. He didn't get to continue on in his career as a police officer where he really strived to make a positive impact. And Kevin doesn't get to be there for all those special moments in life. Kevin's killers have been able to carry on with the rest of their lives. And although they haven't been caught, I hope every moment they live on, there's always a sense of fear that they'll be caught. I hope they're fearful of every phone call from an unknown number I hope they fear every knock at the door and and just have to sit in their discomfort every day knowing their freedom could be taken away from them any day now. This case feels the most solvable of the cases we've covered. I know we haven't covered that many yet, but it truly, truly does feel solvable. 
It's been nearly 24 years since Kevin's murder. It's time for justice to be served and for Kevin's loved ones to have answers. There's presently a $100,000 reward for information leading to an arrest or conviction of the person or people responsible for Kevin's murder. If you have any information in this case, you can contact the Dayton Police Department at 937-333-7109. You can call the Miami Valley Crime Stoppers at 800-637-5735. And you can even submit a written message online at the Justice for Kevin Brame website. Thank you, as always, for listening to this case today. And we will be back next Sunday with an all-new case. Bye. Bye.